This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Let's sit and think for a minute. How many strangers have you said hello to today? How many people have you held the door open for? Or when was the last time you wrote a thank you card to someone? If you've been thinking about whether you have polite manners, you're not alone. We've been thinking about it, too, and many of you shared your thoughts. I believe we are less polite. I wager that we, as a culture, are less polite. It's about manners and being polite. Uh, I do think there is a lack of it. I 100% know that our manners have gone down the drain. I think it's not hard to see that we are less polite. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We had a listener reach out to us because he noticed, well, the same as all of you. We don't really do many of these things anymore. After the break, we bring him on the show to talk about it. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's meet our first guest. Stuart is a listener from Virginia. He sent us an email with his thoughts on manners last month, and he joins us today to talk about it. Stuart, welcome to 1A. Thank you, Jen, for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, Stuart, you sent us an email about a month ago suggesting we talk about American manners. What prompted you to think about this? Well, Jen, I, I was raised in a, in a household where manners and etiquette were emphasized to us. It was very important. Um, the thread of reading a chapter from Emily Post was frequently bantered around our dinner table. <laughs> um, 
And I later was commissioned as an officer in the Navy and received some formal instruction on etiquette and manners. Um, and I realized when I when I practiced the, the simple things like the ones that you just mentioned, refer to people as sir, ma'am, you know, as I've been taught, that, that people would very quickly surmise that I was in the military. A lot of these etiquette, uh, these matters of etiquette and manners that are more traditional but still commonly used in the, in the military have kind of fallen out of practice in much of American society. You've traveled across the U.S. for work. You've been to more than 40 states. What differences have you seen in, in people's behavior or, or mannerisms, depending on where they're from? Well, we can't talk about manners without discussing uh, the American South. People are t- typically more traditional um, and have um, a, a more, more uh, I would say, uh, still practice more traditional manners there. Whereas, say, here in the Washington area or in the Northeast, they're not um, quite as common. I think that the biggest, the most interesting thing that I see is that in the East, particularly the Northeast, you have kind of the stereotype of, say, somebody who's from Boston who might be a little um, a, a poor driver or a little standoffish. But at the same time, in the East, we live very close to one another. So people have a little bit more of a neighborly attitude at times. Where in the American West, where I come from, traditional manners are still emphasized, yet there's so much space between us that it's not always requisite that we exercise good manners. You mentioned the use of sir and ma'am, depending on where you are in the U.S., and that that people, they they like it (laughs) to varying degrees. And I'll say that, you know, there was a period in my life when I started to, turn into ma'am, and I would kind of flinch when I would hear it from time to time. I'm, I'm fine now. You can mail me to the calls, come home. I don't really care. But when did you, when do you notice, you know, maybe people looking at you oddly when you use sir or ma'am versus when it's just, just normal? I think the, the biggest, um, one of the most common times I see it is just in, in typical interactions, like at the grocery store or the car dealership where people aren't uh, primed to expect respect from, say, a customer um, or situations like that. And then there are, of course, situations, say, at a nice restaurant or in many areas that we discussed in the country where it's very much expected. What do you think most affects what you think is or isn't polite? Because there are, you know, people live by different rules or generationally there may be differences. What do you think it is for you? You know, for, for yes, I mean, it, I, I, that's a very good question. And especially after having trouble not only, only throughout the country, but throughout the world, it can vary um, widely. And I like to use the analogy, a lot of times in America, when we say good manners, that boils down to, or etiquette, for example, that boils down to using the correct fork at the dinner table. Um, I don't know about you, if you are going out and eating at Michelin star restaurants every night using that big tranche of NPR money, um, <laughs> but I highly doubt it, and I'm not either. Um, that's not a situation that uh, most people are regularly confronted with. Um, so to me, it boils down to doing the small things every day and just always holding yourself accountable to be good towards other people, um, holding that door, um, referring to people politely, going out of your way to give a compliment. All of the things that you've already discussed. 
That's Stuart in Virginia. He's a 1A listener who asked us to talk about manners. Stuart, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and for the show suggestion. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jen. I will skip work to join you anytime. (laughs) Glad to have you. Well, let's bring in two experts to help us dig through this some more. What can we do to be more polite? Catherine Newman is an author and former etiquette columnist for Real Simple's column, Modern Manners. And she's the author of How to Be a Person and What Can I Say? Also with us, Karen Grigsby-Bates. She's the senior correspondent for Code Switch, NPR's show about race and identity. She's also co-author of the best-selling etiquette book, The Basic Black, Home Training for Modern Times. Catherine, Karen, thanks for joining us. Now let's hear from some of you. Hi, my name's Cassandra, and I'm calling from Florida. Um, People have forgotten how to be polite. We need simple manners in America. A simple excuse me, thank you, you're welcome. It, that all goes uh, such a long way. Hi, I'm Paul from Salt Lake City, Utah. When I go around town and I'm polite, especially at restaurants or going through the drive through people often give me free food just because it's refreshing to have someone treat them with respect and kindness. It's such a shame. Well, I'd like to hear from both of you. What's one simple thing you wish people did more of? Karen, what do you think? Um, how about saying, I'm sorry? Mm. You know, I... Lots of times when you bump into people inadvertently, um, people forget to do that. And it's so it's so easy to just say, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't intend for that to happen. And the reaction is usually very, you know, it's an in-kind reaction. It's like, ah, don't worry about it, you know, whatever. But I also see what happens when people don't say I'm sorry, which is, you know, as your first caller said, we're... We live in stressed times, and so people often will assume that they won't assume noble intent. Uh, Somebody once said that to me, you have to assume noble intent, that people don't intend to harm you, and they take offense quickly. So I'm sorry is an easy diffuser. It doesn't cost you anything, and it's the right thing to do. Catherine, what about you? One simple thing you wish people did more of. Mm, I love the I'm sorry in both little and big ways. Um, I feel like we've gotten so far into our sort of performance of ourselves as busy people that email is just this place where someone will actually just rate you in an imperative, you know, do this, send this, forward that. And I feel like you do have five seconds to say good morning. You know, mm. I just, there. it's this weird, I, I feel like it has to do with how busy we're supposed to be that somehow nobody has time for the niceties. But I think that's a mistake. I think everyone has time for the niceties. I'm a big fan of reading messages out loud before clicking send. <laughs> Because sometimes it doesn't sound bad when you read it in your head, but when you say it out loud, it's like, oh, this is this is not not great. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Bonnie. There is a great difference in manners in our age. I asked a younger person recently about this, and she said, oh, yeah, young people have manners. They're just different. And her example was cell phone calling. She told me that she thinks Younger people feel it's rude to call. You should send a text instead. Now, I think it's safe to say some of us are still navigating what is and isn't polite when it comes to cell phones and communication. But there are some things I, for instance, feel strongly about. Like, don't call me after 9 p.m. my time unless it's really important. Just send a text and I'll, I'll see it in the morning. Karen, how do you think cell phones have reshaped what's considered polite? 
Well, for one thing, immediacy. You know, people assume that I'm going to reach you immediately. If I don't get you, I'm going to leave a message, and you're supposed to respond to me as soon as you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly wasn't the case with landlines. You were either home or you weren't. And even when you had landlines with uh, answering machines, which is still in the, uh, <laughs> in the before <laughs> times, way back, it was one of those things where, okay, I will get to you as soon as I put my frozen food up or I pick my kid up from school or I return my boss's phone call because that is something urgent. But now everything feels urgent. And so the assumption, I think, among many of us is if you don't get back to me right away, you're ignoring me and that's rude and I'm annoyed. Um, when there may be, <laughs> it's not always about us. There's other things happening in the world. Catherine, what about you? How do you think cell phones have reshaped the way we think about politeness? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate that, the the call to feel less urgent um, from Karen. I feel like th- I have a similar feeling that that, I, I have one, I really try not to be passive aggressive as a rule in my life, but there's a thing that I'm a little passive aggressive about, which is somebody looking at their phone while we're having a conversation and I sometimes say, wow, if that's a, it looks like you have a really important thing coming in. Do you, you know, do you want to take it outside so you can have some privacy? Just to draw attention to how bizarre it is that in the middle of a conversation, someone might look, do something different. You know, with that is a, a really new expectation in our lives that anyone would sort of just do something else while they were talking to you or while they were sitting at your dinner table. So, um, yeah, I don't love that. I feel like some of that's pretend urgency. Some of it's narcissism. Some of it's just the addictive quality of our devices. I mean, I think about the way our devices have become extensions of our bodies. Um, Karen, I'm curious for you. I mean, we're, we're in this world where I, I don't know if this is the case for you, but it, there can be this feeling of I have to know what's happening all the time because what if what if news is breaking or what if this is happening? And it can be really almost anxiety inducing to not have your phone right by your side. Any tips for, first of all, just sort of self-checking and say, am I being rude in this case by looking at my phone during this conversation or during this dinner? What are the questions we need to ask ourselves? I guess it depends on what you do to a certain degree. I mean, like, I can turn my phone off when I go to dinner with you or at least leave it, you know, in my purse and concentrate on the person that's across from me. But I have had meals with people who are doctors, for instance, or who are lawyers who are waiting for the jury to come back, and they really need to kind of keep checking. So, But they've told me ahead of time, I got to do this because I'm waiting for the test results to come back. And I know, you know, the parent at the other end of the phone is going to be really waiting for me to get back to them. So I hope you don't mind. But I'm going to be checking every 10 minutes to see if, you know, these results have come back. I understand that. I don't understand why you need to check it for social reasons, if you're with me for social reasons, or God forbid, business reasons. You would not have, you would not have a second interview if that were the case. But it's amazing how, as Catherine said, how people look at us now as my, you know, the other end of my arm is my phone. 
and it shouldn't be. You have fingers at the other end of your arm. Use them to put your phone down um, and actually concentrate on the person who's across from you. I think sometimes people feel like they have to check or they want to find out if something's gone on. Um, just, as you said, in the world, Jen. And, you know, things will still be going on in the world after you finish visiting your grandma. You know, she, she won't appreciate your checking your phone every couple of minutes. And it's sort of like looking beyond the person you're talking to in a big room full of people to see if there's anybody, quote-unquote, better you need to connect mm. with. It's just, it's not a good idea. Catherine, it makes me wonder how you think social media affects the way we treat each other, because that's, it's right there on the phone. That's, it's really interesting. I've, I, like many people, I have such mixed feelings about social media because, there's so much that's great about it. I really feel that way. I feel like um, I, it's like young people in TikTok. There's so much stuff on TikTok now about mental health and so much of it is really great. And that isolatedness, you could no longer do anything and feel like you were the only person in the world doing it. And that's an incredible thing. I mean, that's just amazing. The flip side of it, um, besides how much of it there is and how much people do it is the um, the culture of like anonymous responding to people, which is just a really strange thing that is very particular to, you know, the world we live in now where you might say something really terrible um, just under the mask of anonymity. And that it is so, I mean, I just think about some of your listeners, the things that they value, you know, respect and kindness or that beautiful thing Stuart said about holding yourself accountable to being good to other people. Like an, a nasty anonymous comment is the opposite of that, in my opinion. Although I'd love to hear, I, I'd love to hear Karen's thoughts. Karen, what do you think? I think I agree with Catherine entirely. Yeah, do you do you think that ability to leave those nasty anonymous comments that it's sort of normalized being nastier to one another when we're face to face in real life, Karen? I don't know. I think it doesn't take any bravery to leave an anonymous comment um, that's nasty. I was looking at um, I don't know the normal media scroll. Uh, the other day, and there was a publisher of a small newspaper in North Carolina who wrote a an editorial about his six-year-old son, you may have seen this, who died quite suddenly of a disease nobody mm -hmm. knew that he had had. And he said he wrote about it initially, and a lot of people wrote back to him and said, we're so sorry this happened. We ache for you. You know, I have lost a child. I know how that feels. So he got a lot of commiseration, but he also got a lot of just pure hatefulness. Oh, well, this is because you, you allowed your kid to get the vaccine, and so this is why this happened. It didn't have anything to do with anything, but people felt comfortable leaving that kind of vitriol in his inbox because they didn't leave their names. Bill tweets, good manners are important, but no one needs to be publicly ostracized for not having them. Anyone who does that lacks good manners themselves. We'll get to more of your thoughts after the break. This is 1A. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from Wired. On Wired Politics Lab, you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to manners, some of you think we need to be flexible. Here's what April Marie says. Just like everything else, I think it's important to acclimate to different people's ways of communication and etiquette. Instead of being upset and judging other people, I just adjust to the way that they communicate. Thanks for that message, April Marie. People come from so many different places and backgrounds, Karen. How do you navigate situations where something may be considered rude, but it's unintentional? Or, or maybe you're just trying to figure out what's the right thing to do in this situation? Um... I would love an example of what you're talking about. So maybe you go to someone's home where culturally you don't wear shoes in the house, but you don't you don't know that. And so you just you walk in and then you notice you're the only person wearing shoes and you want to say apologize for the mistake you've made, but you don't know exactly what to say or do. Oh, then I think I would say I am so sorry. I just noticed that this is a shoes off house and I'm happy to do that. I'm going to go put mine in the corner right now. And the host will probably say, no, 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 no. It's what we do. You don't have to do it. It's like, no, if this is how you do it in your house, I want to do it the way you do it. No problem, really. And uh, do that. When we first started writing Basic Black, uh, my co-author, Karen Hudson, and I were trying to figure out what would go into it and what is etiquette, because what we didn't want people to think was etiquette's only for certain kinds of people, for rich people or super educated people or people who live in a certain part of the country. And the formula we came up with was it was basic courtesy with consideration coupled with common sense. So in this case, the common sense would say, if I'm noticing that everybody is in slippers or barefoot except for me, I need to do something about that. And often the host will have like uh, booties or slippers or something, guest, guest footwear at the door, which is to me a sign that they would really prefer it if you didn't track your street grime into their homes. What if it's a situation where you are having to say no to something? So let's say you are in a fa- you're visiting a family where food is very important and they want they want to feed you but you are just full to the gills you can't eat another bite but you're being offered more food and it's considered rude to decline how do you navigate a situation like that honestly i have been there and eaten that <laughs> 
I went to two New Year's dinners once because of a mix-up in communication. The oh. first one was like this big gumbo fest and, you know, everybody ate and we sort of tore ourselves away because we knew we had another place to go. But we thought, well, there's going to be like 30 to 40 people there and we'll just have, you know, a drink or maybe a bite of a cookie or something and mingle with people. Well, it turned out that nobody was there except for us. The hosts were all dressed and waiting for us, and they had been for a while. And I looked around and said, we can't be the first to arrive because we told you we were coming late, right? We had a family thing to go to first. And the wife said, everybody else canceled because they had, you know, flu or colds or something. There's something going around. So you guys are the only one. Now, this was before cell phones, so she couldn't call and let me know that. So I had to eat two dinners. They had The husband had roasted a duck. Oh, my God. Um, they had made, like, a whole big fancy dinner. And so we ate and then did not eat for about two days after <laughs> that. But I felt like I couldn't not eat anything. They had gone to such trouble. And, of course, we followed up with an immediate thank you note for all their trouble and an apology that, you know, we we didn't know because we would have said, oh, then don't go to all that trouble for just us. You know, we'll hook up with you guys another time. But this was before cell phones, uh, which, as Catherine noted, there there are <laughs> there are, are wonderful things about the way technology works now. But this wasn't then. And so we had to literally eat it. Well, we got this email from Jim who says there seems to be a disconnect between manners and politeness and a general awareness that one is not the only person on the planet. Too many people are completely unaware of how their carelessness affects those around them. And Karen also shared this with us. She says, we don't teach the golden rule anymore. So people think mostly about themselves and not others. I want to get to this issue of coded language because not every interaction is polite. Uh, Sheila emailed, I'm all for being polite and friendly at the start, but I'm not into pretending to be nice if people are being cruel, rude, or insensitive toward me. I mean, Karen, sometimes people can speak politely, but the language they're using is very coded and it's really not a polite interaction. How can we politely make someone aware of how they're communicating with us, even if they're saying it in a very nice way? Huh. Um, I think there's two sides of that. There's sort of the genteel, what I call genteel shade. You know, you're (laughs) wearing something that's totally inappropriate and someone will look at you and go, oh, bless your heart. You probably, it's like, um, mm." okay, so I know I have stepped wrong in that. Um, When somebody is literally, um, someone told me the other day about somebody who used a, what used to be common racial slur, um, people feel ashamed for using it now, and they should. And the guy apparently did not know that this was not polite conversation, because where he grew up, people would just say this. And the person who talked to him said, you do realize that that's a slur, and that's incredibly offensive, right? And he went, no, they say it all the time where I'm from. He goes, okay, well, consider this. You're not always where you're from, and some other people may take it the wrong way. So I just kind of wanted to let you know that sometimes that's not going to be met with, mm-hmm, okay. Um, and I think that we should feel obligated when we hear stuff like that to speak up about it immediately, not to necessarily drag the person who's doing it because, like this guy, 
he didn't know. He said, you know, we said it all through our neighborhood when I was little. You know, my parents said I had no idea that somebody would find this offensive. If you know that somebody's going to find that offensive, find a way to gently let them know that's not acceptable. We don't talk that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, we got this question about the use of sir and ma'am. Karen says, I grew up using ma'am and sir, and I'm still inclined to do so. However, now with some people, it's hard to tell how they identify. How do you convey a polite title without using ma'am or sir if you're not sure which gender applies to the person you're speaking with? Catherine, any advice? Yeah, I, I think that's a, I really appreciate the spirit of that question for one thing, which is, you know, I think it goes back to some of the rest of the things we've been talking about where there's not really a one size fits all. If you are talking about your elderly neighbor who you've known your whole life and you know she likes to be called ma'am, I feel like great. Otherwise, I think that the moment of ma'am and sir is behind us. I don't actually think that we can guess at people's gender and I don't think that those terms are really going to get it done. And I know that's a, a tricky thing to say. Like if you know those are the right terms to use, by all means. But I, I also think that those, some of those um, deferential forms of address really do speak to a um, kind of the way that etiquette was invented to keep people in their place and to maintain hierarchies. Um, and I'm not, I'm just... I, th- I think to the extent that, you know, we can let those go, that's really going to be our best bet. Well, Catherine, say, say more about that, how, how etiquette was created to maintain hierarchies. Do you want to hear my nerd story about it? Yes, please. I mean, please. I can tell you the, I, I, okay, carrying you down to hear my nerd story about etiquette. I mean, it, etiquette, the term is first used really to mean what it means now in the 1700s in France, when Louis XIV didn't want people tromping all over Versailles, so he put up keep off the grass signs all over Versailles, and these were called etiquette, which just meant like tickets. And he basically policed the entire grounds of Versailles. We know how well this went, right? Like this basically led into the French Revolution where the peasants and the middle class were like, we've actually had enough of you know, the nobility telling us how to behave and that we'll be poor for the rest of our lives. So that is truly the origin story of the term etiquette as we use it now. And I think it's really revealing. I think etiquette has been used to um, keep people in their place. I think it's been used, you know, you mentioned um, like table manners as this kind of thing we understand to be that, where it's like, oh no, I don't know how to use an oyster fork, you know, because I didn't grow up like in Nantucket or whatever. But I feel like there's a lot of etiquette that actually has some of that same flavor of keeping people um, keeping people in their place, reminding you there's a hierarchy and reminding you you don't fit in. Karen, how did you think about that dynamic as you were writing your book? Well, you know, it's funny. In the introduction to the book, we actually said that a lot of people think that, as, as Catherine just said, you know, etiquette is which fork you pick up and when you, you know, when you let the plates clear from the table and that sort of thing. And for us, we don't think that anybody will die if you use the wrong fork, but we think that kindness to your fellow humans and consideration 
is much more important. And so we're going to concentrate on that. We'll tell you about the forks if you, you know, want that information. But it's much more important to us that you be good to the people who clean up after you, you know, in the office and in your hotel room, that you show consideration for people who may have physical disabilities, that have a seat that you're sitting in, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with Catherine that this is often and unfortunately used as a way to delineate the us and the them and that we're better than y'all. And that's, uh, I think that's a very ancient way of looking at things. Well, let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message one of you left us. Wouldn't dream of not sending a thank you note to anyone. Open the door. Let someone go first. Don't take the last piece of cake. But I'm 65, so maybe that's an old thing. Thanks for that message. Yeah, I think about some of the generational differences I experience now. You know, when I was a kid, it was considered impolite to decline a hug from an adult. So if an adult wanted to hug, you, you know, if you pulled back or you, oh, honey, go, go on and hug, you know, auntie so-and-so or what have you. But nowadays, if a kid isn't interested in, in hugging me, I'm like, good for you setting a boundary. I appreciate that. Good for you. But generationally, Karen, what practices were instilled in you as a kid that you, you don't really engage in anymore? Um. I'm trying to think of what I don't engage in anymore. I mean, like Catherine, I'm trying to figure out, you know, navigating the um, the gender thing. But I know that my mother grew up in Charlotte. And when I would go visit her, visit relatives in North Carolina, I was expected to call people ma'am and sir. But it was a different time. You know, I'm older now. And so those things have become blurred. Um, What hasn't changed is handshaking and looking someone in the eye when you're introduced to them. And we started that really young with my son because my husband just said, you know, I can't tell you how many kids I meet who sort of look down at the ground or look the other way or give you kind of the wet flounder handshake, the boneless handshake. And it's just wrong. And so you need to learn how to do this. Look the person in the eye, shake their hand firmly and, you know, keep going. It makes a difference. I didn't realize how many people didn't do that until people started to comment to me about, oh, he has a good handshake. And he looked at me when he talked to me. It's like, yeah, that's how we grew up. So there are some things about, uh, some things that I was taught that we still do. I was taught to send thank you notes and I still do. And I am thrilled to see uh, that the idea of a thank you note is coming back. And I think your first caller was saying, I don't know, should it's, is it something that's gone out of fashion? I send them after social events. It's like, you should, it's wonderful. You know, how many times have you come home and gotten a mailbox full of junk mail and bills and things you don't want? Wouldn't it be nice to have like a little handwritten note in there just saying dinner was great. You all just killed it. Thanks a lot. Hope to see you soon. That's all. It's not a thesis. It's just a little note to say you appreciated the effort. Well, let's get one more message in here. This is from Jeremy in Indianapolis. I think that we aren't really any less polite than we used to be, but there are two factors which I can see affecting this. The first is, as usual, different generations have different standards of what is considered polite. 
The second, I think, is a good thing, which is that people are less willing to remain silent in the face of injustice. Catherine, what do you think about that voicemail? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that goes back to, you know, Karen's point from before of, you know, that you cannot let stuff slide, that, that if somebody in front of you says something that's um, racist or derogatory in some way, that even though it's not, you know, traditionally nice to call people out, like, yeah, I, I think that is the world, that I, 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 think, I think revolution does not look like it's nice. You know, I don't, I don't think people have changed the world while being nice. So I, I'm a huge fan of um, caring a lot about relationships and being really considerate towards people and, you know, making a little trouble when it's required, which is often. Well, we'll end on this email from Deborah who says, I often find that when I'm kind, others give you a funny look as if you're up to something. But I also notice that I receive blessings myself shortly after spreading kindness, which proves it's contagious. Spread the word. We've been talking with Catherine Newman. She's an author and former etiquette columnist for Real Simple's etiquette column, Modern Manners, and Karen Grigsby-Bates. She's the senior correspondent for Code Switch, the NPR show about race and identity. She's also the co-author of the best-selling etiquette book, The Basic Black, Home Training for Modern Times. Catherine, Karen, thanks to you both. Remember, we have a text club. It's the fastest way to connect with us. Find out how to sign up under the Talk to 1A tab at the1a.org. Today's show was produced by Jorgelina Manarea and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.